Morning, everybody. Uh, we're glad you're all here today. Uh, if you haven't uh, checked in with us for a while, you've been kind of in and out over the last year, uh, we understand. And uh, one thing that's changed is just the way we do generosity and offering. And so uh, we encourage folks to use PushPay for that if you feel like you want to give to what God's doing around here at Southbrook. Uh, also, if you like giving the old-fashioned way, uh, you can go like slip a 10 to the information station like you're trying to get the nice table at the restaurant, kind of like... Just tell them to do something nice with it. Uh, you can do it that way also. We're glad that you're here with us. We're glad you chose to make this uh, a place you wanted to be uh, this soggy Ohio morning. Uh, we're talking about uh, what it is to be normal, uh, which scared me a lot when I saw it on the series planner because uh, there's a whole lot of stuff uh, we could all kind of maybe say about what it means or doesn't mean uh, to be normal. And one of the things that's happening right now, I don't know if it's true for you, but it seems pretty true across the board in our world and especially in America right now as we, we open back up and return to some of our old routines is that everything that we used to think was normal that we took for granted as normal uh, is shifting and changing and, and we've been out of patterns. So I don't know if you've found this happen where something that used to be a pretty normal thing to do You've, you've forgotten how to do it. Uh, I was at my first restaurant a few weeks ago in, in a while, and I forgot the phrase for like asking them to top off your coffee, like if you want to refill. And so what I ended up saying was, more hot on top, please. Because <laughs> um, I just, I forgot, like what's the normal thing you say when you'd like them to just give you, I, I guess it was accurate. It wasn't wrong, but it certainly wasn't a normal thing to say. And so I don't know if you felt that. There are a lot of people kind of reevaluating what we all thought uh, was normal. Maybe there are relationships that you're trying to decide if you're going to hold on to because you haven't seen them in 18 months and it's been all right, right? Like maybe you're trying to figure that out. Maybe, you know, there are a lot of people who church was kind of this thing of like, oh, we didn't really do this or we did it in a new way or we altered it and, and what's going to, What's baseline normal going to be? And so everybody's trying to, to sort that out. And so it's a good time for us to talk about uh, normal things. Now, I should say, I think it's, it's complicated, right? Uh, normal is, is delicate because there are things where you search for whether something is normal and there's a comfort to finding out that something is, is normal. I've been in a, a grief for the last year and I so there's all these things that I'm like, is this normal? And so you do the Google search, like, is this normal? It turns out that, you know, your sleep patterns can get disrupted, but there's this thing that happens where almost all people in grief wake up between three and five in the morning. There's some magic to it. It's always between those hours because there's something that your body, your, your brain is processing that that rhythm of waking up at three and five is normal. And there was a comfort to me in learning, oh, okay. If you're a new parent, I imagine that you do a lot of Google searching. Is, is this normal, right? Like, my kid keeps chewing on the banister. Like, is that a normal thing for a kid to do, right? And, and we're searching for that all the time. But it can also be, normal can be destructive, right? There are, there are things that we think are just normal and we label other things as not normal and it can be destructive sometimes. Uh, as we think about this, there's a, a woman who's actually a Global Leadership Summit speaker this year. You heard about that in the announcements, and her name is Francesca Gino, and she studies like the work environment, like what people conceive as normal versus outliers, and uh, I was looking into some of her work, and she has this thing she does where she gets in a room with people, and she has them write down on a little slip of paper, like what percentage 
percentile they think they fall into. Like when they come into the work environment, are they bringing more to the table? So she has them write down, like if you think you're bringing less than average, like you're somewhere in that zero to 50% range, she says, write that down. If you think you bring like just enough to the table, write 50%, like I'm an average worker, that's what I bring uh, into, into my work environment. If you think you're above average, she says, write that down, like I'm 75%, I'm better than 75% of the people, right? And then she has them later in her time with them, she says, now raise your hand if you think you are above average. And she says almost every time, most of the room raises their hand, which if, you're, if you understand math, that's funny. Uh, the, some of you do, right? It's that they're all saying, if everybody's average, then what is, then it means nothing. And I always wonder, I don't know, I'd love for her someday to, to do that in churches, because I think it becomes even more messy because you grow up thinking that humility is really valued. And so I don't know if this is true for you, but in my mind, I have a constant battle of two different opinions going on about myself. One is that I, I want to be, be kind of special. Uh, that's actually a, a big piece of who I am. We do this, we use this tool called the Enneagram around here. It's a personality typing system and it's a one to nine. It kind of defines your, your internal motivations and struggles and the things you seek in the world. And, and as an Enneagram four, one of the things I seek is I just want to be real, I want to be real special. But I also, like a lot of people, don't want to be like too special, right? So I want to be special enough that like once everybody else started liking Hootie and the Blowfish, I just jumped right off that train, right? Like that's how my brain works. It's like once everybody loves something, that can means it's not a good thing. I don't love it anymore. So I have to be special. But there's this middle schooler in all of us that doesn't want to be like too special. And so we have this, this battle of wanting to be normal, not normal. Uh, Levi's going to talk about family next week. And for a lot of us, you grow up in your family thinking something is like a normal thing to do. And then you get out into the cruel world and it turns out, oh, everybody doesn't do that thing. Uh, in our family, I grew up where if somebody choked or like something went down the wrong pipe or they were coughing over a meal or something, then you were supposed to say, grow so big. And then the person choking would just put their hands up, right? And expand your airways or something. I don't know. But I thought that was like gazoon height. And I thought everybody did that. And then for the rest of my life, I go into environments, I say, somebody chokes, and I say, grow so big. And I find out that you're really supposed to help people. You're not supposed to, <laughs> you're not supposed to just say grow so big at them. Um, but you don't, you don't know. Yeah, you don't know, you don't know these things. And, and there's a thing that happens where we're not sure if it's okay uh, to be the people that, that we've been made to be. And I think in the world of, if you grew up in the church and you hear Christian messages, there's also this, this battle sometimes between saying that we are wretched and we're beloved. You know, if you grew up singing Amazing Grace and what a wretch we are. You probably learned the word wretch in a church. Uh, I remember going to like a Christian punk rock show and the guys were on stage singing, I hate myself. And that was supposed to be like the gospel. Uh, and I just remember, oh, is that what, is that what it means to believe this is that I despise myself, right? And we hold these two things, we're wretched and we're beloved. And it goes back even farther than that. There's this old Jewish teaching I came across a few weeks ago. I think it, when I, the article I found traced it back to the 19th century. And the idea in this teaching from this rabbi is that everybody should walk around with two messages uh, in their pockets. And one of the messages uh, should say, the world was made for you. 
right? This is the middle school self-esteem lesson. <laughs> the world was made for you. You are a special snowflake. No other snowflake is like you. Uh, we see it in scripture, right? You were, you were knit together in your mother's womb. God made you. God had dreams and ideas of you. The world was made for you and you have a calling and a purpose and a power. But the rabbi says in the other pocket, you should have a message that just says you are dust and ashes. You're not that special, <laughs> Your, your time will go faster. You are a lot like everyone else, really. And, and the teaching is that we should have both of these handy so that because there are certain moments that call us to remember the world was made for you. And there are certain moments that call us to remember you are just dust and ashes. And I think if, if we were to be honest, I hope that this is something we all kind of feel. It's not, I mean, I want to be special, but not that special. So I, I hope that you can all maybe connect to that truth. And this battle is something that we often work out, not just in ourselves, but, but by measuring ourselves against other people. Right? We do it through posturing, through competing, through measuring ourselves up next to other people. And a big part of life is, is holding ourselves up to next to other people and figuring out what is normal and what's not normal and what's normal in a good way and what's normal in a bad way. There's a, a story that I, I know I've told it here before, but I'm not worried because I don't really remember stuff I say up here, so I feel like I can tell it again. Uh, and it also just really fits uh, with this story. But I, I learned it from the Invisibilia podcast, and they kind of study all these phenomenon in the world and different things that happen. And they had an episode about Somalia. And Somalia had gone through this, this period where they were under a totalitarian regime. And one of the, the pieces of the world in Somalia at this time was that they were trying to restrict everybody's freedom. And so one of the symptoms of that was no music. So no singing, no playing music, no dancing, no music. Well, then when the power shifted and when there was kind of a more democratic system in place, they were trying to convince people that they had this freedom. They were trying to convince people that normal had shifted. And so they couldn't figure out, like, how do we get people to start singing and dancing? How do we bring music back into our culture and into our communities? So they decided to follow America's lead and to just try a reality show. Because those often alter what people think is normal. And so they started, like, a Somalian idol or a Somalia's Got Talent. And they just put it on TV and they showed people singing has a way to change people's minds and to free people up. And as people studied this phenomenon in Somalia, they said that one of the things that, that you could see from this is that we don't just change our minds. That it's very rare that somebody just says to you, you can sing now and you'll just start singing. Or it's very rare for people to just change what they think is normal on their own or with just one single message. That very often what happens is that we look around us and we see that what everybody else is doing has shifted and changed. And it's called norms engineering. And it's how a lot of the world works under, under the surface of what we see is that we're, we're holding ourselves up next to other people. So if everybody's wearing bell bottoms, then we'll wear bell bottoms. If everybody's wearing the skinny ankle, then for a time, we'll wear the skinny ankle, right? The only thing we know about norms is that they, they shift all the time. We see this in fashion and in language and in our behavior. So if everybody's wearing bell bottoms, we will. But also if everybody's being a little bit crueler, then we'll be a little more cruel. And we even have, we've turned this into a, a verb, right? We're all a little more aware that this is how things work now. So you've probably heard people talk about normalizing something. 
And some of the things people want to normalize are really beautiful things, like normalize going to therapy. I, I see that all the time, and I think it's a beautiful, good thing that is hopefully shifting in our culture. Uh, you see, like, silly things, like normalize eating a milkshake for dinner, right? I'm on board with that. I'll normalize that all day. We don't, we don't know how long some of these normalizing things are going to last, which ones are going to be destructive, which ones are going to be good or bad. But we're in this moment where everything that we think about what is normal is shifting. And we've turned it into a verb, and we, we're aware that we're all doing it all the time. And so it seems like a pretty good time to look back at another time when many of people's norms were shifting. And sometimes when we all get together in a room like this, I think the very best thing we can do is just to sit uh, with some of the, the stories of Jesus and to just sit with the person of Jesus. And so I just want us to do that because I don't know of anything uh, better to describe what Jesus was doing than norms engineering. <laughs> he went into a world that was one way. And every time he met somebody new, he changed what they perceived as normal. And the place I'm going to use for my home base, I always go, you can read Jesus' story in Matthew or Mark or Luke or John. I almost always go to Luke. Uh, it's one of my favorite. I just appreciate Luke as a writer. And I love that he's always kind of pointing the camera towards the people on the margins that nobody else is paying attention to, much like uh, Jesus. And so Luke 8 will be our, our home base here as we get started in these stories. Maybe you know some of them. I just want us to sit with them a little bit uh, today. Maybe you remember the story where Jesus and his followers meet up with a man who is, it tells us he's, he's just filled with evil spirits. He's just covered in evil. And the normal thing, if somebody is covered in evil and possessed by something you don't understand, is to isolate them. And so they've sent this man out, in, out of the bounds of town and they just don't deal with him because one of the things that's normal in their world and maybe in ours, is that if somebody shows you their evil, you show them your evil right back. And so that's what they've done with this demoniac, this evil man, this man who nobody understands and is acting wild. And so Jesus comes along, and what I love is that the first question he asks of this man is, what is your name? That is a completely abnormal thing to ask somebody who's just covered in evil and bringing it all to you. And I'll just give away, this, this story is not normal. What happens is that Jesus takes the, all these spirits, this evil stuff, and he sends it into a group of pigs. Uh, and that happens and everybody's like, that's fine. We've seen stuff like that before. We're used to evil moving around and wild things happening that we can't quite explain. We're accustomed to that. What really makes them afraid in this story is that later on they see the man and he is sitting still and he's quiet and he's in his right mind. And that causes great fear in them. Jesus has shifted what they thought was normal. This is apparently a busy day in Jesus' life because uh, it's all right there in Luke 8. He goes along and he runs into a guy named Jairus who is a leader in the synagogue. And Jairus has a daughter who's very sick and he's pleading with Jesus to come and bring his daughter healing. And now what we have to remind ourselves is that what was normal in the world of Jesus and in the ancient world is the daughters were of very little value. And in fact, in, in the family, there were these sayings that, that the birth of a daughter is a loss because the birth of a daughter would have cost money to a family because you would have had to 
when she got married, which she would have to do, you would have to send off part of your herd, part of your crop. You would have to give away some of your family wealth in order to secure her into a marriage. So the birth of a daughter in many families was considered a loss, a curse even. But Jesus, as he talks to Jairus, sees that Jairus is breaking what's normal and that he values and treasures his daughter. And so Jesus values and treasures his daughter too. And he eventually heals her, restores her to life. But on his way, he just squeezes in like one other like side hustle healing. Uh, because there's, there's also a story in Luke 8 where there's a woman who's been bleeding. And it's, it's the way that women bleed once a month, but she's been doing it for 12 years. And what was normal in their culture for, for religious reasons, for cleanliness reasons, for hygiene reasons, for following the law kind of reasons, what was normal in their world is that during that time when women were bleeding for that week of a month or whatever, they would be set aside. They would have to be in kind of isolation and they would be called unclean for a while. And they couldn't really touch anybody else. And so she has been experiencing that for 12 years. We're probably all coming off 18 months of being a little more isolated. Imagine that times 12. She has not been hugged in 12 years. There has nobody, nobody's been around to just put a hand on her shoulder or to stroke her cheek or to get her hair out of her eyes. 12 years. It says that she's exhausted all her money. She's gone to all the doctors, all the healers. She has no hope left. She sees no way out of being of this isolation. And so in desperation, she just touches just the hem of Jesus' coat. Like maybe that'll be enough. And it is. And of course, my favorite part of the story is not just that he heals her and he restores her. It's that he turns around to her and he calls her daughter. You are a child of God, he says. And I think maybe that is where her healing happened. Now, the thing about the book of Luke is that very often Jesus can, he can kind of tell like which message people are holding on to tightly. So when somebody comes to him and, and they've been isolated, they've been in shame, uh, they've been set aside, they've been called evil, they've been called unclean, they've been called all these names, he knows that the thing they most need to hear is the world was made for you. But also in Luke, he runs into a bunch of people who need to be reminded you're just, a, you're just dust and ashes. And then what he does, what I love about reading uh, Luke and Acts together is that they've seen him, his followers have seen him, that Jesus somehow, he turns to every person and he offers them his attention, he offers them mercy, and he offers them restoration. And then he says to all of his followers and to everybody who kind of joins in his story, he says, now you've seen me pay attention. You've seen me offer mercy and you've seen me offer restoration. Now all this grace that you hold, you're supposed to go give it away. And that actually, that's kind of how Luke and Acts work together. They're, they're the very first franchise movie. Uh, everything that Fast and Furious has become owes itself uh, to Luke and Acts being paired together. Uh, that's, see, nobody laughed the first time. Either. Dang. It's, I guess you guys just don't watch Fast and the Furious probably. You don't know that it's all about family. Um, you do know. 
do know that it's about family. Uh, it's the first, it's, it is the first sequel, right? It's the first part one, part two. Uh, Jesus and then Jesus sir, right? Like it's, it's those things together. And the idea of it is that all the things Jesus did, his followers were called to do. And so uh, this is just a, a podcast plug, but when I wanted to sit down and start a podcast with my friend, we were gonna talk about the Bible and try to make the people in it look normal and talk about like the things they ate for breakfast. We wanted to start with Acts because I just don't think we read it enough because that's all it is, is a phenomenal story of people who thought one thing was normal who then find in their hands something to give away that changes the whole wide world. And so all you have to do, uh, you don't even have to change the number. You just have to jump over to Acts 8. And we meet a guy named Philip. And one of the things about Philip that we know is that he's a girl dad. So like Jairus, uh, Philip is a guy who valued his daughters. He had four daughters who end up prophesying. They end up being people who speak for God. So he's a girl dad. We also know that he's on the disciple B team. Like there's the top 12 and then there's all the other guys. And Philip is in the all the other guys category. But he gets this highlighted moment in Acts 8. And as he's going along, remember, uh, Philip has watched Jesus. He's watched Jesus give attention and mercy and restoration to everybody he meets. He's watched Jesus like pull the right message out of his pocket for the people who are afraid that all they are is dust and ashes. He's told them the world's made for you. And, and he's watched people who think the world's just made for them pull out their need for confession and their need uh, to humble themselves. And so he, he has all this and now he realizes he's supposed to give it away. And he runs into somebody who's described to us as an Ethiopian eunuch. And what we need to remind ourselves is that uh, in this world, it was normal for somebody who had no means of, of finance, no power, no family connection, who had no way of making their way in the world, it was normal for them to enter into servanthood or slavehood. It was normal for them to give up their own person to serve in the royal courts. And not only did they give up their life and their time and all that, but in certain situations, they were also castrated so that a part of who they were as a person was taken away from them. So they would have no drive other than to serve the person who had more power and more money than them. And so this is the kind of man, that Ethiopian eunuch, this is who Philip meets on the side of the road. And what was normal, if somebody is in, if they've been so otherized, so dehumanized, so set outside, what you should do is just keep walking by them. But Philip instead, maybe because he's seen the way Jesus moves through the world, he gets a little closer to the Ethiopian eunuch. Close enough to see that the Ethiopian eunuch is reading from the scroll of Isaiah, a story about a man who was wounded, a man who was less than, a servant. And he ends up like telling this man, this Ethiopian eunuch, Philip, this B-team disciple, he ends up telling this man all about the story of Jesus and all about this, this God who was also wounded, who was also like him, who was also cast aside but resurrected, who, who loved and asked the name of people who were cast aside. And so there's this beautiful moment where he tells him about baptism and how you could be you could be covered in the mercy of God like water. And they see some water there by the side of the road. And the question, I love this, the Ethiopian eunuch says, is there anything that would get in the way of me knowing the grace of God? And where we might expect Philip to be like, well, here's these 10 things that you really should know, that you should adhere to, these, here's these papers you have to sign. And what Philip says instead is, and there's, no, there's nothing. There's nothing in the way between you and grace and the mercy that covers you like water. And so he baptizes him and goes on his way. 
And I just want us to hear that all these things we see Jesus doing, we're called to be doing them too. And when I think about these two messages, uh, when I think about this message that we hear, that we receive, that we pass along, that, that operates in our mind as we go about our, our work and our friendships and our churching and all that stuff, these two messages that you're just dust and ashes, the world was made for you, that the, the way that you hold them in your hand at the same time is grace. That walking in grace is a way of remembering both of these things at the same time and of knowing exactly which one is true and when. And of all the things that we're normalizing right now, the thing I worry about us normalizing is gracelessness. That we're getting closer and closer to to being a world that doesn't offer any mercy to ourselves or to each other. And that we could end up failing this giant move of God. The way the world was changed was through the extension of the mercy that Jesus offered. So I want us to hear it is true for us And it is true for every single person we meet that God wants to give them attention and mercy and restoration. We're just gonna sit with this in a couple ways. I'm gonna gonna pray here. I'm hopefully gonna pray like like slower and I'm gonna ask you to imagine yourself in in these stories as we pray so that they ring true in you, so that they become messages in your pocket. And then we're gonna hear just a, a really beautiful song that, that the team has been working on that, that like seals this deal musically for us. So would you just, for the next few minutes, uh, sit uh, under the attention of God and the mercy of God with the restoration of God at hand. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these stories for all these moments when Jesus could have kept walking, but he slowed down instead. We thank you, God, that when he met a man overcome by evil on the road, that he asked him for his name. God, we maybe can see ourselves in that person. We have so many things in our mind, we can't even give a word for them. And we're tempted when we meet evil to show evil right back. God, we maybe even see ourselves being set aside, cast aside. Would you, through your mercy, help us become the kind of people who can sit still? God, we thank you for the moment when Jesus decides to value and treasure Jairus' daughter, when he restores her, when he decides just how much she cost. For any of us who feel like we are a curse, we're not worth it. May we feel your restoration. God, for this moment when this bleeding woman who has been alone and isolated and cut off, who hasn't felt a touch for a while, when she is called child, 
We thank you. For this moment, when the story and the grace of Jesus makes its way to this other, we thank you. God, help us even right now to see ourselves as the graced and the grace givers. Show us who around us has been unseen, who's been called names, who's been set aside. God, we thank you that we are dust and ashes and we pray that in all our dustiness we would see that the world was also made for us. Something's been stolen Under the weight of the curse you've been broken You're not what happened You're more than the shame you were recklessly Scream through the tears you can't keep from falling. Wishing they put out enough to break through the hurting. Jesus runs after the broken ones, weeping with those. Shake the feeling He's not in a rush He has time for your healing Lean on His shoulder It's never too late in your story with
Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray together. If you want to just, let's get on our feet. Uh, that feels right. Stand up together. My favorite thing of that song is that it's called He Has Time. 
Uh, and I hope we have time today uh, to let the attention and the mercy and the restoration of God take root in us. Let's pray together. God, we stand here as your kids and pray you would fill our hands with so much grace we can't help but give it away. Help us to extend mercy as we go about your world to the people in the traffic and the people in the lines in front of us and the people who show us their evil and the people who call us names. God, would you help us to make grace normal, to extend your mercy to everyone we meet, including ourselves. God, help us to walk like we are dust and ashes, but we are dust and ashes who the world was made for. Help us to hold that today. In the good, strong name of Jesus, we pray and hope for these things together. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.